Well, did anyone underline or circle anything? And if so, what did you circle? Would you be willing to share? Since I don't have any plants, I hope someone will say something. The former things have come to pass, oh. <laughs> and the new things I now declare. Um, but this is written long ago in what we heard in the um, gospel happening here. Gospel writer believes. Here we go, now we're mic'd, mic'd in. Yeah, the former things have, have come to pass to you. Anyone else? It's a song rich with images. Yeah, Jenny. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And the word justice appears several times in there as a key piece. Imagine that all people would be treated fairly, even those who get the short end of the stick all the time. And there are many. Mary. I'll put my spirit upon him. This isn't just anybody. This is a servant sent from God and of God. Uh, maybe one more if anyone has it. Dave. Bruised reed, he will not break. A dimly burning wick, he will not quench. Such, such, such tender sentiments. And, and there's so many uh, allusions here, I think, that, that tap into our sense of waiting for justice to be fulfilled, for the vulnerable to be treated uh, tenderly, uh, for... Uh, the things that we feel ought to happen. And let's be honest, sometimes as we wait for God's will to be done, for us to be made whole, doesn't it feel, doesn't waiting seem to not quite fully capture what we feel, the range of emotions? It's almost too passive. There's longing, isn't there? It may be a longing to overcome or to better manage a mental illness. It may be a longing for a loved one who has a terrible disease to be healed. It may be a longing for uh, nieces and nephews who are victims of a broken family to find the belonging and the stability and the leadership, the mentors in their own lives that they need. A longing for those who do get the short end of the stick to receive justice, longing, yearning. Do you ever feel that way? In West Side Story, there's one terrible, terrible night in the story where the animosities boil over between the white gang that feels that they were there first and they're protecting their turf 
and the darker-skinned Puerto Rican immigrant gang that's trying to carve out a place in this new world in New York City. And as a result of the conflict, two people are dead, one on each side. This greatly complicates the relationship of the star-crossed lovers, Tony and Maria, one Anglo, one Puerto Rican, as they dishearteningly realize that their love is probably doomed. And yet, as they are together, they tap into a hope and a longing for somewhere that's different than the world that they know. Let's somewhere. Okay, we didn't cut off the kiss there. Uh, a lovely scene, uh, is it not? I think you've seen it before. Maybe you saw it at the play that was at the Guthrie this summer. It's a heart-rending description and yearning of a place somewhere where they can find a new way of living, where forgiveness is present and where peace is real. And in that scene, of course, Tony and Maria, they can almost see it, can't they? They can almost feel it. And somehow, naively, out of a sense of hope, they believe, they hope that their love can get them there. There's a description somewhat similar in the servant song, and Audrey finger on it. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. A new way of living, if you will. A new thing where justice prevails, where the blind can see, where the vulnerable, the bruised reed is treated tenderly, where prisoners are released. And by the way, the prisoners that are described here are the vast majority of them are economic prisoners, poor people who are unable to pay their debts, not hardened criminals, you see. But in the servant song, it's important to point out the love that gets us there is not by holding hands and generating a love between us that we experience, but rather we get there from a declaration from the God of the universe, i.e., in other words, a love that spans past, present, and future that creates this place somewhere that also becomes right here sometimes. You see, Isaiah asks the question in the servant song, what if somewhere was a promise? Even more than that, Isaiah suggests, what if somewhere is indeed a promise? It is a promise. I mentioned the servant songs, of which there are four. The most famous one is from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Perhaps you remember from Handel's Messiah and other places, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. Christians have always interpreted these servant songs as references, prophecies that point to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled these servant songs. Jesus was the servant. 
And so, Jesus is God's promise that somewhere is real and will be real. Somewhere will be so. But how can God possibly promise such a thing? I mean, and given who we are in the world that we live in, where we destroy each other, and we can't even help destroying the very planet that we live on that gives us life, how can God save such people as us so bent on our own destruction? Well, the suffering servant gives us a clue. It was in the suffering servant, God in the flesh and Jesus of Nazareth bore, fully carried the weight of the things that destroy us in this world. And these very forces crushed the life out of Jesus. Oh, and yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus rose again, thereby, therefore, breaking the power of those things that seem like they have the final answer, but they don't. And Jesus went on then to create a new world that we inherit someplace, somewhere, a new way of living, forgiveness and peace reign. We get to be a part of this world. And yet, in this life we know, let's get real. We wait, don't we? We wait. As my brother Pete a couple weeks ago reminded us, in a sermon about laments, we sometimes find ourselves in a dark tunnel where there is no light at, that we can see at the end, and we wait for that light. Heidi and I have a friend who has a terrible disease whose family inexplicably abandoned her, and she's so very alone, and she waits painfully. That is part of our existence. And so, our longing is returned to us as promise indeed. And that promise is guaranteed. But we know painfully that it is not yet fulfilled. We experience it in glimpses and fits and starts. Partially, it's real. And so much of it we wait upon. As we turn toward Christmas, I want to close with a very important thought about the promise. We are promised a new way of living where things change, and we wait sometimes painfully, painfully for that. But there's one aspect of the promise that is given now fully for us to claim and to enjoy and to draw life from, and that is the fact that God's servant is with us. God's servant is with us and fully with us now. Let me end with a story about a friend of mine who experienced this God with us, Emmanuel. His friends, my friend's name is Keith. He no longer uh, is living. Keith grew up as an orphan, bounced around from foster home to foster home. 
Needless to say, he struggled with a sense of belonging and connection, having a family that was somewhat permanent. Every night, he said, when he was a boy of seven, eight, nine years old, he, he says he would crawl under the covers and he would have this fantasy, this wakeful dream that I'm sure lapsed into a sleeping dream, where he would get on a raft, push off into a river, and there, by himself, he would suddenly be joined by God. He didn't describe what God looked like, but what he described was the conversation that he would have with God as they floated down the river, the two of them, about life, about companionship. And this conversation went on and on, and it was a nightly ritual for Keith. So for a kid like this, with the pain and brokenness in his heart, uh, it's, e it's easy to imagine that he would have imaginary friends. But my question to you is, was his friend imaginary? Was God imaginary there? For you see, Keith's very existence and reality changed by those nightly visions and dreams and conversations with God who visited him. It's like the biblical visions where God speaks to someone in a dream or a vision, and God did with Keith. And so Keith's somewhere became now and real as he experienced God. A few years later, Keith walked into a Lutheran church, quite apart from his foster parents' knowledge, and signed up for confirmation. True story. Signed up for confirmation. Keith eventually, without any encouragement from his homes in terms of going to church, became a pastor. And I got to work with Keith for four years at Mount Olivet Lutheran Church in Plymouth before cancer took his life. And so I tell you that story because it's reminiscent of a bruised reed that God will not break, a dimly burning wick that God will not quench. That was Keith. That is sometimes us. And as we wait for certain things to happen, we don't have to wait for this to happen. God is with us on that raft. And so somewhere is now for you on the raft of life's journey. Amen.